This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. This is JG Hertz for General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number 132. I am Billy Yoda. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Drew Stewart. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including Robert Beltran warming up to Star Trek fans on Twitter and Reddit, Saturn Award nominations for Star Trek Into Darkness, Larry Nemechik's invasion of Jacksonville, Florida, and we remember prolific Star Trek director Cliff Bowl. Then in the feature, we're joined by Todd Habercorn, Chuck Huber, Larry Nemechek, and Chris White to discuss Star Trek Continues. So let's step into the Ready Room. Hello, Drew. Long time no see last week. You were co-hosting with me, and I was commenting on how long it had been since you had co-hosted the Ready Room. You've you've made up for it. (laughs) And here you are right back again this week. But, of course, this week, you know, last week we did TOS, and normally we would be doing TNG this week on the Ready Room. But we're doing something special. We have uh, much of the cast and crew of Star Trek Continues on with us today. And therefore, as it's in the TOS era, I have you back with me. Yeah, I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't. I couldn't miss this. I've not actually had an opportunity to talk to Larry before, so I was. I had to clear my schedule and and you know hold all my calls and other things that I never have to do because I I don't really do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, we actually were recording uh, on two separate days this week as well. We recorded this session with Star Trek Continues yesterday, and we were joined, of course, by Larry as well as Chris White who is director, Todd Habrikon, who plays Spock, and Chuck Huber, who's also a director and played McCoy in the vignettes, and will be playing McCoy starting from the third episode as well. So we had a really great gathering, and we're looking forward to bringing that to you guys shortly. So we're going to keep news pretty brief this week, because that session did run quite long. So let's just go ahead, Drew. And it's worth it. It was definitely worth it. It was a really fun discussion So let's go ahead and jump into the news so that we can uh, move on along and get to the feature today. The first item we have is, once again, we've lost someone from the Star Trek family, and we found out about this last week after we had recorded The Ready Room. And prolific director Cliff Bowl, who is responsible for 42 episodes in the Star Trek franchise, passed away peacefully at age 76, but uh, he did pass away. That's... That's sad. Was he the most prolific Star Trek franchise director? That's a good... 42 seems like a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, that's a good question. And I did not go and run the numbers on everyone because there are a few directors who are very, very prolific within the franchise as well. But if it's not the most episodes, it's got to be right up there near the top. 25 episodes of The Next Generation, 7 episodes of DS9, 10 episodes of Voyager. That's 
that's impressive. He, it sounds like he helped bring about the visual style of of the next generation generation. Most definitely. In fact, Drew, I'm sure you know this, but he directed the the quintessential Star Trek episode, certainly of the modern era, the best of both worlds, which mm-hmm. you know, I mean, TNG had already started coming into its own before we got to the best of both worlds. But there's no doubt that that episode, that two-parter, really propelled not only TNG to what was ultimately, eventually, an Emmy nomination you know, for Best Drama, but was what propelled, I feel like, the entire modern Star Trek franchise. Yeah, I think that's... Best of Both Worlds is definitely like the turning point where it... I mean, it's it's the point where the next generation was officially longer lasting than the original series yeah and it was time to be taken seriously and and i'm i'm guessing that that cliff had a lot to do with that oh definitely yeah and so beyond that episode other great ones unification part 2 with spock of course on the next generation mm-hmm. and um on voyager he directed some really great episodes tuvix one of my favorite great mm-hmm. episodes of wow. Voyager, as well as Futures in Part Two, and also the Big Experiment, the the actual Voyager movie during the series Dark Frontier, the two hour TV movie event that was also directed by Cliff Bull. Wow, he did Part Twos, but not Part Ones. I didn't realize they split some of those. Yeah, they often split those. Yeah. Huh. They're they're really good at making them all flow together. Yeah, they really are. I guess because you had the ground rules of this is what you do in Star Trek, yeah. like Rondi Moore complains about in the uh, the Battlestar commentaries. Yeah, yeah. I think Star Trek was set up so that it was perhaps easier for different directors to be slotted into episodes that way, even if they were the second part of a cliffhanger, and still maintain the look and feel. And plus the cast. I mean, you know, everyone being together knowing each other so well and the creative team being together for so long on Star Trek really helped these part twos, especially by the time you get to Voyager with Future's End really fit together. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, he died on February 15th. Uh, he was born in 1937. So he lived 76 years and uh, I'm glad that he passed away peacefully. He had a very long, very productive life left behind lots of great material for us. And, you know, not only Star Trek, but but many, many TV shows throughout Hollywood. He was very prolific. Uh, great names that everyone will recognize, like Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island. T.J. Hooker got to direct William Shatner quite a bit there. <laughs> uh, MacGyver, which, uh, you, you know, you cannot be a Hollywood director if you didn't put your hands on MacGyver. That didn't that didn't sound very good, did it, Drew? No, <laughs> on no, the that series, didn't sound right at all. <laughs> on the camera itself, <laughs> filming the series, and of course the X Files and and many many others. And what we're going to be doing here on the network, starting this week and in the coming weeks, a lot of our shows are going to be looking at the work of Cliff Bolt to remember his impact on the series. Matthew and I recorded a new episode of The Orb, which will be out actually the same day as this Ready Room where we look at all seven DS9 episodes that he directed. I know Earl Grey has put together a look at Hollow Pursuits, which was the first appearance of Barkley. And Mike and Max, I believe, are planning to do some stuff on commentary Trek stars. And I know that Tristan and Shar are going to do something on To the Journey 
as well. So we'll be filling you in on on the the far reach that Cliff Bowl had throughout Star Trek. It, it sounds like Colin and I are the only people who aren't doing anything this week for him. Right. Well, you know, you're covering the original series, and that's the the one area, well, along with Enterprise, that that he didn't touch. Uh, well, we'll remember him here. Right. This will be my my part. This is your part. Our condolences to the family of Cliff Bull, and and again, thanks for for all the great memories in Star Trek. Drew, let's move on. We have one other very interesting bit of news here surrounding an actor on Star Trek. Robert Beltran has joined Twitter, which, um, you know, I mean, joining Twitter's night. Huge news to everyone listening to this, but it is interesting (laughs) when a Star Trek actor finally comes aboard on Twitter. But he's also going to be doing a question and answer session directly with fans on Reddit. And... I found this really interesting because, you know, Robert Beltran has been very hands-off about Star Trek over the years. Yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've not heard him speak, but I've heard that he's out, outspoken about his, uh, his dislike on how they, uh, they handled Chakotay, uh, and, and his characterization. I can't blame him and I give him, uh, I have a lot of respect for him for sticking with it. And not just, uh, you know, like making the mistake of leaving early or getting your getting your character killed off, yeah. or you know, traveling with the traveler, like like Will Wheaton, yeah. And and he stuck with it, and he gave it his all, unless he was not, and in the background, just rolling his eyes because it's hard to tell whether or not that was Chicote or or if it was Robert Beltran. Yeah, you know, there are times when I watch episodes where I feel like you can feel that he's very unhappy with the script and he probably would rather be doing something else. And then there are times where you can tell that this script has really engaged him and you can really see the potential of Chicote. And, you know, Year of Hell is an episode where I, I think Chicote really shines when he's actually mm-hmm. over on the Krenum ship. And I I don't blame him at all, you know, for the feelings that he had towards the way the character was written, because I really think the writers did a disservice to what could have been a really great character. Now, luckily in the novels, they've really turned him into something. You know, Kirsten Beyer has really taken Chicote and made him that man and that captain and that character that he always had the potential to be, which is great, but it, it's interesting to see him coming back around now and actually beginning to engage the fans and talk to them about Star Trek because over the years, you know, I've just seen a few interviews here and there that he's done either with communicator or with Star Trek.com. But compared to the other actors, it's been really hard to, to really hear very much from Robert Beltran. Yeah, it's it's good that he's joined Twitter. I think he's I think pretty much everybody's on Twitter now. I mean, on the planet, not just Star Trek, but <laughs> <laughs> feels that way. I don't know if Keenzer's on there yet, but we'll we'll find out. I'm sure that there's a Keenzer there's gotta uh, be. RPG account. <laughs> so if you want to follow Robert Beltran on Twitter, his username is Robert Beltran seventy four. So that's Beltran, B-E-L-T-R-A-N, and the number 74. And Drew, we were, you know, talking on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. About what the 74 might mean 
Uh, we're, we're not quite sure. Our guess is maybe that's when he graduated from university. We're really not sure. Maybe. Or maybe it's in honor of how many thousands of light years they were from home. Oh, that, that could be. That, that's a very good guess. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's how many cups of coffee Janeway drank during each staff meeting. <laughs> or maybe it was how many times the monkey from resolutions <laughs> threw poo at him <laughs> or got in between him and, and Kathy when they were, you know, about to uh, make a lot of fans happy. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it's Robert Beltran 74 on Twitter. And as far as this Reddit event goes, when this ready room drops, if you're listening immediately, you might still be able to, get in on this. Otherwise, it may have already happened by the time you hear this. It's actually on March 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern on Reddit. It's a Reddit AMA event, and you'll be able to go over and ask questions. You do need a Reddit account in order to actually submit questions, but that's free. But anyone can go and actually follow along, even if you don't have the account. Um, but Yeah, they're always interesting reads, those AMAs. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to mention it, because even after the fact, it's going to be really interesting just to go back and read it, even if you can't be there live. And the fact that he's doing it is just, I don't know, it's fascinating to me, and I'm, I'm so happy to see it. Yeah, I'll be tuning in. So another thing that we have here in news today, Drew, is related to Star Trek Into Darkness. We know that Star Trek Into Darkness also received some Oscar nominations for visual effects. In the more dedicated scientific realm here, we have the Saturn Awards from the Academy of Science mm -hmm. Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. And I want to be part of that academy. Can I be? How do I get? You should be. <laughs> How do we get nominated to that? You should be there. I mean, you're the you're the co-host of Standard Orbit. I think you should actually have a vote in this, Drew. <laughs> throw my credentials around. <laughs> I am Landrew. My will That's be done. Right. That's what you have to tell them. Look, I know I'm just the co-host of a podcast, but I'm also Landrew. You know, I think that, <laughs> that carries some weight. So, but the 40th annual Saturn Awards are coming up and Star Trek Into Darkness has actually received five nominations. So we've got Best Science Fiction Film and Best Director, J.J. Abrams. We've got Best Supporting Actor, Benedict Cumberbatch. We've got best costumes, and we have best special slash visual effects, which uh, I I agree with that. I'm not sure on best costume. I mean, they're really most of them are the costumes from before. I guess they've got the new the hat. They've got the hats now. Yeah. And and they've got the uh, uh, con has a lot of uh, trench coats. Maybe maybe it's for the trench coats. <laughs> maybe. It could be for the Nibiru scenes at the beginning because oh, yeah. that that makeup job, and it's very interesting to watch the behind the scenes about the Nibiru tribe and, and how that was all put together. I saw Star Trek Into Darkness, well, the first time I saw it was at Paramount's offices in Tokyo, and that was a, it was a smaller screen, still a little theater, but it was a smaller screen for for media uh screenings you know so mm -hmm. and, and it was in 3d and it was good but the that makeup didn't have a huge impact on me there but then i also went to see star trek into darkness on the big imax 3d screen and mm. that was it's like a screen where they use like two 
4K projectors, I believe. It was the sharpest visual image I've ever seen anywhere, wow. anything I've ever seen. It was absolutely gorgeous. And the Nibiru makeup really did have an impact on me when I saw it there at that just enormous size and that high resolution IMAX. So um, in that respect, I have to say they did, they did do some really amazing work that does really stand out. Yeah, I, I like the visual effects. Uh, I, I was going to say that it was my pick for uh, for the Oscars, but I, I had I thought Smaug did had the I like the dragon, and uh, but that's that's not important right now because <laughs> Star Trek didn't win anything. I hope that they win a Saturn. It deserves something. Yeah, I, I think pro- probably the best supporting actor uh, for for Khan because you have to vote for Khan. I mean, anybody on this this academy who didn't vote for Khan, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to come to their house and squish their head. That's exactly what I was about to say. I was about to say, you have to vote for Khan or he'll crush your head. You don't <laughs> want to piss off Khan. He might cry first and, yes. and get all emo A single emo tear. On Just you. a single tear. Yeah. But then later he's going to crush your head. Now, for best science fiction film, I'm, I'm not sure... Because uh, we've got best science fiction film at the Saturns here. We've got a uh, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, Ender's Game, Gravity, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, Pacific Rim, and Riddick. I'm not. I'm not sure about Riddick, but uh, I've seen most of the others. And I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a hard fight, especially with Oscar Oscar winning Gravity, best yeah. director and best visual effects. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that Star Trek is going to be beaten out in this category. But what do they say? It's an honor just to be nominated, right? Mm-hmm. If it was an MTV Movie Award, then uh, Catching Fire would win, because that's <laughs> how MTV rolls. <laughs> All right. So uh, you can see the full list of Saturn Award nominees at SaturnAwards.org, if you'd like to check that out. And the winners will be announced sometime in June at a ceremony in Burbank. I did check the Saturn Awards website and I didn't see an actual date yet. So I don't know if they're trying to secure the facility or or what's going on there. Uh, probably by the time this drops, they will have made a huge announcement and then <laughs> people will be wondering why we don't know. But that's what we know so far, sometime in June. All right, Drew. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we recorded our talk with Star Trek Continues yesterday. And Larry had a new bit of news that just came up this morning that we want to throw in here to the news section today. So this is why Larry's... Brand new news. Brand new news. It's it's new news. This is a meetup that Larry's going to be holding this coming weekend in Jacksonville in support of his Con of Wrath project. Yeah, it's uh, it looks like it's uh, March 8th at the FSCJ Kent campus. And uh, he's going to be bringing the Dr. Trek show to Jacksonville. And it's a, it's a meetup about the Con of Wrath, his uh, documentary on the, uh, the ultimate fantasy convention that was in Houston in 1982, which apparently fell apart, uh, yeah. to, to put it lightly. Yeah. It's known as Meltdown to Miracle. It's a, it's a really fascinating story. I, I'm I'm really really looking forward to that being completed so we I can learn about it without reading things I don't like to read you know it's just, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding I like reading you are the, you are the <laughs> audio video guy I see 
But it would be, it'd be so much easier if I could just watch it, yeah. condense it for me. Tell me the important parts, Larry. Well, what, this is one of those things where watching it is what you really have to do because Larry's been going around. He travels frequently from city to city with uh, with the camera crew, and they do interviews with people who are actually there, people who know what happened, and you know, hearing it directly from those people is what really makes it come to life. Yeah. It looks like a nominal $20 donation will get you a screen credit and a chance to play prize trivia. Yeah, that, that's great. You can actually be seen as a producer of sorts of the Con of Wrath right there. And, and of course, Larry's trivia is always lots of fun. And after this time, this uh, two hours here where Larry's going to be talking about the Con of Wrath and, and Star Trek and such... Larry will also have books, his archival CDs, which are the Trekland on speaker discs that we sometimes talk about with uh, these great interviews from over the years with actors and creatives from Star Trek. And also other items will be available for sale and autographing as well. So go check it out. See Larry there in Jacksonville, Florida. Again, that's room E104 on the Kent campus of FSCJ. And if you want to know more in general about the Con of Wrath, you can go to conofwrath.com and you can find Larry's site over at larrynemichick.com as well. All right, Drew. Well, that's all we have in news. We would like to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show. That is audible.com. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from. They have new titles coming every week. And we talk about Audible on the show here every week because they do help us keep the ready room coming to you. And what I really like to do every week is to recommend a book. Drew, since today we're talking about the TOS era, but we're talking about stories that we didn't see on the screen because Star Trek Continues Mm -hmm. actually picks up where Turnabout Intruder left off at the end of the third season of TOS and it just continues the story of the five-year mission. Well, there's a book by J.M. Dillard called The Lost Years, which actually tells the story of the crew of the Enterprise after the end of the five-year mission. Yeah, I think I think this is one of these books uh, that, that my dad had when I was growing up. So I read it, but I was probably like seven or eight, so I, I couldn't tell you what it was about. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember <laughs> anymore, right? Yeah, I read this book as well a long, long time ago. It's probably been... I don't know, 15 years or more, 18 years ago. So when I was seven or eight. Is that what it was? Yeah. I remember (laughs) reading it. Like I even remember where I was when I was reading it. But of course, stories fade over time with so much other material coming in. But basically what this story is, is that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, the trifecta, the triumvirate, they struggle to establish their new lives after they've been separated and they're no longer together on the ship. Kirk has been newly promoted to Admiral. And also he's in charge of creating this special Starfleet division. And they're going to attempt to defuse a critical hostage situation. And so Spock is off, you know, doing his teaching assignments on Vulcan. And then McCoy, I guess, is growing his beard. I don't know what he's going to be doing. Yeah, he's buying medallions. Buying medallions, getting ready for when we see him in the motion picture. But uh, no, McCoy's unerring instinct for trouble lands him smack in the middle of an incident that could trigger an interstellar bloodbath. 
So that's the basic story. So if you're interested in what happened to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and their relationships after they were no longer together on the Enterprise, after the end of the five-year mission, this is a great book for you to pick up. And it's narrated by Leonard Nimoy, which, you know, if... Which is a sign of quality. Yeah, I mean, the TOS books, you need Leonard Nimoy narrating them. The TNG books, you need John Delancey narrating those. And that's what you get on Audible. And as a Trek of Film listener, you can get this book absolutely free or any other book you like. You know, they have classics, they have current bestsellers, lots of other Star Trek books, lots of business, science, comedy, whatever you're looking for. They have it all there. You can get any book of your choice absolutely free just for trying Audible. So give it a try today. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. And if at the end of your trial period, you decide not to stick with Audible. There's nothing to lose because you get to keep this audiobook. It's yours. So go try it today. That helps us keep the ready room coming to you. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for helping us keep the ready room going. A quick note before we jump into the feature. The group session with Star Trek Continues is a bit different from our normal ready room recording process. We were able to gather everyone as they were available to call in from various locations. So you may hear background noises, environmental noises that you don't normally hear on the ready room. Connection quality also varies quite a bit. We apologize for any distractions in the audio, but are sure you will enjoy this wonderful behind-the-scenes look at continuing the five-year mission. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. At the recent Dallas Sci-Fi Expo, Star Trek Continues premiered their second episode, Lolani. The first episode of the series, Pilgrim of Eternity, was a follow-up to the TOS episode, Who Mourns for Adonais? In Lolani, Star Trek Continues brings aboard a familiar race from TOS, the Orions, in a poignant story surrounding personal freedoms and the Orion slave trade. To say that these episodes are impressive would be a huge understatement. So we thought it would be wonderful to get together some of the cast and crew to take a behind-the-scenes look at Star Trek Continues. And joining us today, we have friend of the show and Dr. McCoy in these episodes, Larry Nemechek. Hello, Larry. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having us on, and thanks for coming up with this idea. This is This will be fun if we oh, can keep absolutely. all the cats herded here. <laughs> Hurting cats. That sounds like an episode yeah. title, Larry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Larry, you've been you've been wrangling up all of the people from Star Trek Continues, and we're really happy to be joined by Todd Habercorn today, who plays Spock. Hello, Todd. 
Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun email to get from Larry, and so it's always fun to to get out and talk about uh, something that we all work on uh, really hard and hope people like. So this is fun. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad you could join us. And also joining us is director Chris White. Hello, Chris. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I um, I uh, directed the episode, the second episode, Lalani, and served as first assistant director on the on Pilgrim of Eternity, and will also be. Uh, first assistant director for the next episode that we're about to shoot in, a, in uh, about a week, I think. Excellent. And I also appear on the show as Dr. McKenna. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't recognize you with the short hair. Now, you see, they're all voice actors, and it's really hard. The people at home, you can't tell that, that Chris White is a very attractive redhead woman. I, I did the video, but Chris also has to shave when he gets ready for an episode. <laughs> no, that, Dr. McKenna is played by the lovely and talented Michelle Speck, so I won't take that, that glory away from her. Okay. <laughs> Just to clear up any confusion. Yeah, that was yeah. – <laughs> Well, that's good, but Chris, it doesn't explain why you're wearing the blue dress today. No. That was my fault. I requested that. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, lost, a, I lost a bet to Todd. Um, All right. <laughs> for the month of March, apparently. So. He's a good man. He, he, he makes good on his best. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. Well, as we go along today, we may be stopping off at some strange new worlds to pick up some other members of the crew. But let's go ahead and get into discussing Star Trek Continues here. And now, Drew, guys, who is a co-host of our original series show, Standard Orbit, threatened to sell me to Orion slave traders if I did not let him ask the first question. So, <laughs> Drew, go ahead. Well, well, this is a question that, that my co-host on Standard Orbit and I asked each other on our first episode, is that uh, Star Trek, the original series, just seems to have lasted forever, and, and it just keeps going. Uh, I was wondering uh, why you guys think there's so many... Star Trek fan productions and why they're all TOS based. Uh, what do you think is about TOS that makes people want to live in that universe? Plywood walls. Yeah. <laughs> Plywood walls and Christmas lights. and It's very easy to build. And so yeah. you're saying it's easier. It's cheaper. Yeah, it's, I yeah, it's see a lot that. cheaper than those preformed, you know, TNG era forms that you need a movie, a movie budget for. Yeah. No, no, I no. Think- there's a lot. More more to it than that. That that uh, Chris and Todd will have much more uh, insight into than I will. Well, I I'm interested in your insight into that, Larry. But uh, to your to your question, Drew, I I'm curious about the same thing. Um, I guess what I think is there was a simplicity to the order of the world in uh, the original series. Um, the simplicity of just you wear a certain color shirt. <laughs> that corresponds to your job, and uh, it was a military structure, but there was a lot of benevolence and goodness in it. So there was kind of that, oh, we can trust in this structure, and so there's some comfort. Um, but there was also some maybe more progressive thought with it. I, I think it's a beautiful blend of of comfort and um, and challenge, maybe in it. And, and I think that's. But just looking at the show, I think there's something very uh, simple about it and easy to understand to just kind of step into it. You don't you don't have to see a lot of episodes to figure out what's going on and who people are. Um, so maybe that's 
Maybe that's something. That's my stab at it. I don't know, Todd. I wonder if it also has to do with the people that were inspired by this entertainment when they were young are now all grown up and able and have the means, whether it's financially or skill-wise, to replicate uh, something like that. And Next Gen kind of came around when they were already kind of grown up and, and not as impressionable, I guess, and so TOS stuck with with a lot of people uh, that, that that make it now and, and that do it, I, I is my guess. Um, but it, but it is very it's all those things that I think you mentioned as far as what's inspiring about TOS. I, I like for me, I just fired up the the Star Trek online game just to kind of check it out this past week, and I was like, oh, this will be fun because they just made it available for Mac. And and it was weird because watching when you get in the ship at the at the the shipyard and you take off, I was like. <laughs> oh man, I'm in my own ship, and it, it's kind of like that same thing of like having your first car, and I think it taps into that too, and so uh, it, it combines sci-fi, it combines the the thrill of your first car and and adventure, and a little bit of Indiana Jones mixed with a little bit of, you know, just a lot lots of good stuff that that all kind of comes together in a nice little crockpot stew. Todd, as you start playing the game, though, just be careful who you get your bit credits from. Yeah, that's right. Well, see, the name of my my uh, the the name of my ship I named it the USS Whiskey Dick, and uh, I am Commander uh, Haberdash. So that's that's my crew and and so. Haberdashing from one mission to another. You're, you're the first command. You're the you know the first officer, and then your captain. You get your captain gets kidnapped by Klingons. And then he dies, and then his last wish is like, you're now captain of the ship, and, and lock on to this ship and blow him up, and, and bam. And then you begin, and you are now captain of the USS Whiskey Dick. I want to hear what Larry's response is to that, because I, I think of Larry as uh, kind of a next-gen guy. I mean, I think of you he as... He literally wrote now. the book on it. Really? So <laughs> why do you think... Why, aren't, why are there so much of... Uh, Okay, well, there's 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 emotion here and there's numbers. On one hand, it's hard for me to – as Next Generation took off, there wouldn't have been a Next Generation without the original series, obviously. But the fact is that Next Generation's numbers all around were way, way more than the original series ever were in the day, and it got to a point when the froth of Next Generation was at the, at the most ut, <laughs> and it was spinning off Voyager and, and Deep Space Nine – that was kind of the height of everybody to look at that generation looking at the original series as oh it's it's so it's plywood and christmas lights and the effects are so bad the wavy matte lines around the nacelles and there was really kind of a you know which i would jump in and defend and say hey guys it's, you wouldn't have your current generation if it wasn't for the original series and then within just a few years later People were all knocking the next generation for being so 80s and carpet up the walls and a therapist on the bridge and you know and the original series. Of so it's like this pendulum swing that goes back and forth. But the bottom line is when people – when you had everyone has a video camera and everybody can do a movie in their laptop. I mean I was kidding about it earlier, but you can build an original series set. You, know, you can do all that easier. Um, and they're iconic, and the costumes are simpler, and everything is simpler to do yourself. So, do you also the, think, Larry, that yeah. it also has to do with the fact that Next Gen ran for so many more seasons than TOS, and they yeah. kind of did everything that you would you would imagine, you know? 
Yeah. I, I mean, the fact that even if you weren't around to see them, there were the 80, the 79 shows for 20 years. <laughs> and that's what, and it was easy to watch those over and over and over again. And the, some of the touchstones are so common, like we can say a line or we can do a music stinger cue and everybody, you know, you can go da-dum, 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 you know, much less dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum or whatever. Uh, Vulcans never bluff or whatever it is. And people go, yeah, mm -hmm. because there were only the 79 shows. And now yeah, that the simplicity Chris was talking about, sometimes it's like a simplicity of scale. That I, um, and let me add this: I do think that Kirk is a great character. I think put that character; he didn't he doesn't have to be in a science fiction show. I, I he could be in a western or a cop show. I think he's a great, and he's a great character, and he's very appealing um, to to the idea that uh, it's easier to do the original series than next gen. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Though I will say bringing us back to Star Trek continues that um, boy we we really, we uh, we put a lot of work into making that uh, simple old-fashioned television show come to life <laughs> I mean uh, I would love to yeah Chris uh, drew you're you're totally you should come down to Kingsland sometime where we shoot and take a take a tour of the set we'd love to see you down there but I think if if you were down there you would be stunned at how uh, the depth of or the attention to detail. I mean, costumes. I mean, they're they're stunning. I, you know, and I think there's it, it is deceptive to. I mean, I, I agree. I think comparatively, it is easier to do. You know, TOS as opposed to next gen. I mean, just you know, uh, just the bridge alone is so ornate. But at the same, on the same token, if you notice how many fan films there are and how how really, with I feel like with Star Trek Convenience, and this is not me talking about my involvement at all, but just the production's quality level, you see it's not as easy as, it's easy compared to Next Gen, but within the realm of fan film, it's still very, very difficult to make all these moving oh, yeah. parts work and to get the cast and crew together for these 10 days and to, to get the, the expenditures handled and everything. And, and you know, Chris obviously has had a, a very large hand in, in getting the budget worked out and all that kind of stuff and getting things built. And, you know, Larry's in there tooling around with our story and making sure we're, you know, keeping it, keeping us, uh, you know, on the line and such. So there's a lot of people that bring a lot of different things to it that you don't find in, in, in a lot of the, the fan productions that just want to get together and, and have that component of wanting to make just some fun Trek episodes. Because it takes that, but it also takes another ingredient. That's like saying, well, I'm just going to throw sugar in this bowl and it's going to be a cake. Well, it takes sugar and flour and eggs and, you know, vanilla and your, you know, your strawberries and all this kind of stuff, which I, I feel like, you know, we've, we've been able to gather that right now as far as these two episodes. And I hope that we can continue, but it's, it's uh, it is still very, very daunting. I, I feel like. But it is, it's also about goals and, and, you know, Vic was the, was the driving force about assembling this team, and this was his vision. And it's just choices, but different fan films want to do different things. And it was his choice to. Um, I, I've seen at times people say, "Well, you know, it's a common thing," and people say, in all earnestness and sincerity, "Well, why are you restricting yourself to you know four three? And why are you to this? The mission here was to do a actual a historical recreation." 
you know, outdo the Civil War reenactors. And I mean, this is this is a media recreation. And it's just like when the um, when the Renaissance folks took the Greek stage and thought they were going to copy it exactly. But bang, here comes the Presidium Arch. You know, it's like their own <laughs> worldview couldn't help but interfere with what their huge, you know, they're, we're doing this to scale recreation. Well, this is a, an attempt to, whether it's visual effects or the staging or the camera or the format or whatever. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I just took that in stride when I first got sucked in, when Vic Fett first got me involved. But more and more we've gone along, and, it, and as a lot of the different, fa it's not just about are you doing Kirk, Spock, McCoy, are you doing the... Um, USS Whiskey Dick or whatever you're doing, <laughs> you know, it's it's more than just who's wearing your uniforms. It's about the those kind of those kind of creative intentions, and at times that's come in for criticism. But it's like it's not a criticism once people understand that this was the goal. It's just like people that criticize Next Gen for having families on the show and having carpeted walls and a therapist. It was like no, those were the intentions. The intention was not to be a military. You could bring your family with you. You you didn't have to be a sterile military, you know, career without without family. It was supposed to be a comfortable place to be. Those were intentions, they're not criticisms. So yeah. you can criticize the choice, but can't criticize it as that being out of control. And Star Trek continues is this is going to be as close as we can make it to nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy. And as one of you just said, that's harder than it looks. Sometimes when you go backwards, when you go retro, it's maybe a little more difficult than you think, even though it's supposedly a simpler time you know, in TV production. I'm trying to get child labor laws banned in California. It's a lot harder than you think it is. You can't just make these kids work whenever you want. They've got parents. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a whole different podcast, but anyway. Yeah. Well, let me, Todd, while we have you here, because I know we may have to drop you off along the way. I did want to ask you about playing the character of Spock. And then I want to come back to production a bit more um, later on, because I have some questions about that as well that we haven't touched on yet. But but Todd, I've often heard producers of Star Trek of the, the official television series that were on talk about how it's difficult to cast Vulcans and you know finding actors who can effectively play that emotionless logic of the Vulcan can be difficult to find. And then I've also heard actors who have played lead Vulcan roles on series have talked about their past knowledge of Vulcans and especially Spock. I know that Jolene Blaylock has talked about how she grew up watching Spock and she was a big fan of Spock. And that Tim Russ sort of the same way. informed, yeah, informed how they played those characters. But what about for you? You know, what was your past experience with Star Trek and Spock? And did any of that uh, influence your approach to the character, or what other ways did you approach playing such an iconic role? It, it, it's tricky with with that role because it is iconic, and and everyone has their idea of how it should be played. I feel like for me, I obviously knew Spock and and all the movies and the series and and everything like that, and I tried to. I didn't go back and binge on all that because I've been watching it since I was a kid, and so I I, I didn't want to touch on it too much. I, I watched a little bit before we did the first episode. Just to, What I usually do before we shoot an episode is about a month before, I'll begin some really in-depth script analysis and work on, on the script. Before then, I, I touch on little ideas here and there, and I let them kind of simmer. And then as we get to that month, I really hunker down. Like right now, I'm, I'm reading a lot of um, uh, graphic novels and other, and other novels that have to do with what our episode's about to try to 
um, just get little nuggets of information here. And um, the, the reason I don't go and, I, and watch a lot of these episodes uh, again is because I don't want to copy Nimoy playing Spock. That's right. always my big thing, and that's what I see on these forums, and, and that's what kind of is, is interesting to me is that they um, – a lot of the criticism that it, because there's been a lot of people that love it and then a lot of people that criticize it and I'm I get it this is a public stage you're going to have all sorts of opinions but they're like Spock's not Asian or Spock's not you know his voice is this way or he's supposed to look this way and my approach is that that's them saying no Nimoy does, is not Asian Nimoy's voice is different and so I'm not playing Nimoy playing Spock I'm playing the the character of that Vulcan. Uh, of that of that character, so that's one layer that, that I have to deal with is that I don't want to do necessarily what Spock, what what Nimoy did with Spock. I want to take the ideals that he brought to the character and make sure that that those are informing me. Um, that's one layer. Another layer is dealing with that. There's there's an immense. I try to to build it, and I talked with with Chris about this in the second episode is this backstory of stuff that you will never see on screen and you will never know about. But it helps me anchor in and, and try to do things with the character that, that I know what I'm doing and Chris knows what I'm doing because I've talked to them about it. But as the audience watches it, they're seeing a Vulcan just interacting on the ship. But there's a whole kind of web of things that I'm trying to do on there that I hope come come across as authentic to what that character represents. Hey, I want to I bring that up because people can re-watch Lilani now with an, an eye on Todd's performance because I'm, I was very, I loved his performance in Lilani because if you're following, this, there's no spoilers here if you've not seen the episode, so please watch the episode, but notice how Spock is affected. The Orion slave girl uh, gives off these uh, theorems that uh, is that the correct pronunciation? Pheromones. Pheromones. That um, <laughs> that attract men. That she controls. She controls men with. And um, Todd had this brilliant idea. He's like, these would have some effect on Spock. Now Spock's going to process it differently. He's going to process it through this this logic thing uh, that he's constantly working through and perfecting in his life. But she is going to affect him. So I love watching the episode, if for no other reason, to watch how Spock. And if you really, I mean, we want you to watch the episode ten times if you want to. But at least do one pass on the episode where what you watch is how does what happens with Spock in response to Lilani. And when you start looking at the episode that way, I mean, hats off to Todd. I mean, especially when he does. I don't think this is a spoiler if you've not seen it. There's a mind meld moment um, that is particularly uh, touching um, when you think about what what Spock's going through in that moment. Yeah. Oh no. Well, thank you for for saying that. I I, I feel like um, in that with that particular scene, it's like there's um, I have a certain for for me the way that that everything affected me. I felt like. I said, well, what if what if we tried this idea? And I was talking to Chris about it, and he was very, very open to it, and, and I'm grateful for that. But I said, well, what if what if the pheromones affect Spock the most out of anybody on the bridge? What if what if because he keeps everything so uh, you know under you know plays his cards so close to his chest? What if they hit him? So anytime I'm walking in, anytime I'm in her presence, or when I'm about to do the mind meld, it's a very um, I feel like that. Hopefully, the stakes are higher. 
because because of what I'm dealing with. And so um, it's those little things that that, that I that I try to do not only to to try to find some layers to this character because a lot of times when I see Spock played on a, on fan productions or our Vulcans in general played on fan productions, there's a there's a trick to um, people will play him almost like Data in a way, yeah. like like a, like a like a you know an android, and I don't think that's the key for me. That may work for them. I, you know, I don't know what their process is, but for me, it, it, that's not how I try to approach it. Well, I especially see a lot of emotion in Spock on the original series. I think people tend to remember maybe more how he was played in the films. But if when you go back and watch the original series, you do see a lot more emotion from Leonard Nimoy than yeah. people generally remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I mean, there are... See, what is that episode where he... Had that soliloquy in, uh, you know, in the conference room, where he's like, "Take your time." To, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he has yeah, to, yeah. he has to get it, get it under control. I mean, it's like, wow, Spock. You know, you got the red shirt listening outside. Like, what the hell's going on in there? I mean, Spock's yeah. just having a moment in there. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 been a great ride, and and I'm very, um, I like the challenge of it of playing the role, and and it's funny to see, we have people that come and visit the set. And and before they go to the set, they kind of come into the makeup area and they kind of come look around where we all just kind of hang our hats when we're not on set. And in the minute they see, it's not even about me. It's about the iconic. They can they, they just see the size of my head and they see the hair and they see the ears and they see the color. And you can see it in their face. They are immediately they they go back to when they first fell in love with these characters. I mean, I, every single time people will come through. And their pupils dilate like a sci-fi, like a junkie, and like they're getting their fix. You know, so it's really cool to see that, and it's ha- I'm I'm happy to be a part of something like that. Very cool, guys. I just got a message from the bridge. We've entered orbit of Huber Four, and we're going to be picking up Chuck from Huber Four. Hey, Chuck, welcome. Well, I'll take this place. Hey, look at that! I just beamed in. <laughs> You've got a picture. I know. Uh-oh. What did I do? I just lost my picture. I can still hear you guys. There we go. <laughs> oh, there you are. We Hi. see you. Hey. Okay, good. I'm glad you can see me. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we've picked up Chuck Huber, first AD, and the once and future McCoy to join the conversation here. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna yeah, to say taking my place. I will, if it's okay, I'm going to get back to work. Okay. Hey, little screen, Todd. It's good to see you. I'm fishing your head. Fish, 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 fish. <laughs> I, I just want to give you a hug. Why do you want to cause massive brain trauma to me? Well, because you're so smart. I need you to be stupider. <laughs> Never um, All right, Todd. We'll, we'll, we will drop you off here on Huber 4. And we'll let Chuck take your place. But we really appreciate you spending some time with us today and talking about Spock and the production. No, thank you very much. And I hope to return and, and let's do it again. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. Very good. Bye, guys. See you, Todd. See you, Todd. Bye, Todd. Well, while we're talking about characters, guys, why don't we talk a little bit about approaching Bones in here? Because we have we have Larry, you've played Bones in the first two episodes and and Chuck, you're going to be playing Bones as well. And Chuck did uh, the vignettes. The vignettes, um, yes. Bones. Yes. I love the vignettes. So how do you guys approach this character? And I'm curious if you each have a different, you know, 
affinity to Bones and a different way of approaching the character. And collectively, have you both written enough? I'm a doctor, not a this and that to, to actually publish an entire book of those. Well, I don't have an approach to bones. I have Larry's approach to bones because I told him he's going to be my <laughs> you have coach. To do better than that. No, no, you're my, you're my bones brain, man. Like as I'm going through all three seasons of uh, the original series again, before the shoot, I'm just, you know, because you gave me all those episodes that are really right. highlighted yep. to look at. And so as I go through these, I'm, I'm thinking what you think. And I've got, like, lists of questions I want to go through with you uh, when we, you know, when we have time. But it's uh, – uh, I've been acting on film and camera for, you know, 25 years. So that part I got down. But, like, the the sort of – personal details that I know you know and you have in your heart. That's what I want to transplant. I want to I, I want to rip out your heart, Larry, and stick it uh-huh. in my mouth and just Well, that's, that's what And I know to take that as the compliment that it was meant to be. <laughs> well, when we were first when I was I mean like, you know, this was like a 3 weeks notice thing for me. So and I told Vic originally no because I was doing seller cartography in January and I was like I can't it's like things go fallow and then when it rains it pours. But um, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to uh, get by on knowing McCoy for 30 years and uh, not having done much acting in 20 years, but we'll just, you know, trust in that. And, um, but no, and then we were sitting in the makeup chair and I told Lisa, our wonderful, Lisa Hansel, our wonderful makeup person, I said, okay, if you're going to do <laughs> visually, McCoy is the eyebrow. I mean, I talks about Spock's eyebrow, but to me, McCoy is like the eyebrow and the hair swoosh. And then after that, if you can get the crows for the bags, the bags, the eyebrow, and the and the swoosh. I so got the bags. That's the, the that's the yeah. We've all we're all doing good on the bags now. But um, <laughs> so yeah, so we're there. No, I it's it's those little fun things. I mean, and the other the wacky little fan nerd boy thing to me. And you know, if nothing else, praise it or rip it up or whatever. But if nothing else, by God, in the first episode, I have the med scanner flipped down, the thumb point. I wish I had something to play with it with, because they they designed Feinberger designed that prop and D Kelly did it where when you're scanning someone, where's here okay we're scanning, and then you're supposed to read the bottom right to get the thing, and you can like put your finger on the button and all this and do a twist and turn it up where you can look. You don't have to like make a big thing out of it. You can scan, and then flip it and look down instantaneously. And the scene with Sulu on the transporter, I was like. Okay, if nothing else, we're going to get one good med scanner flip in here. And so I can die a happy man. You have to, you know. I know another thing, Larry. <laughs> the smock. Yes. The smock. Let Kirk have his green wrap around. McCoy oh, needs his smock. His smock. <laughs> uh, Larry likes to wear the smock. It's just yes. it just screams McCoy from wherever yeah. you are, yeah, <laughs> it does. and it gets forgotten about because everybody else True. says, "Nah, just use just wear the regular uniform." And it's like, oh, he's got to have that 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 shininess. McCoy needs to be shiny. <laughs> I agree. It just more screams sp- more smock in the next, or more more smock. More more Spock smock. <laughs> well, it rhymes with Spock, so it's got to be yeah. It's Don't start me with rhyming things with Spock because this is a family. family <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. Yeah. 
I can I not do this? Can I just be normal? Can I somehow someday in my life be normal and not be always like me? I have a problem. <laughs> I don't. I think that's a question beyond the means of this panel, Chuck. I don't. I don't. No, you know. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to organize it so I can bring two of my older boys with me to set um, when we shoot this next episode because that's the only way to keep me in check. Like, if I have my children around, I act like a normal human. So, I think that'll be helpful. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and I have a note for uh, Mr. Huber. Yes. Uh, haircut and shave. <laughs> no, no. Haircut I'm, it's a whole take on, on uh, McCoy, man. It's just going to be like. Well, if you if you remember, in you can be he's edging closer to what he was in the motion picture. You know, that's, you need the big medallion yeah, and Drew. the beard. Drew, yeah, shut up. Right. No, we're, we're getting there, but that'll be that'll be several episodes later. Now I've had strict instructions from from Mr. Vic that uh, okay, you know it needs to be exact, and I've I've got it all set up. I just love my long hair and beard, so I'm saving it for as long as I can. Because the beard sort of like there's no way to hide that you're getting older if your beard is full mm-hmm. of gray. So I just yeah. kind of like I embrace it, and then as soon as I shave it, I feel like you don't look young anymore. And you're trying to, but I don't have to. I, I was amazed when when I started going back to the first season and looking at episodes. I was amazed at how old McCoy was. I was like, oh wow! I pictured him as a kid. I pictured him younger, but then I started seeing you know those those nice close-ups of him. I'm like, oh wow, he's got some miles on. He, him. And then McCoy I felt sur- about playing. McCoy survived an awful lot of saloon bar fights. Yeah. If you look at D. Kelly's credits, he was always the bad guy in the westerns, and would like you know, right? Yeah, no, he was ten years older than Kirk, than Kirk and Spock. He was he and Scotty were kind of like the you know the, slightly the older, older, yeah. The older yeah, crew. Yeah, so no, you're safe, Chuck. Yeah. As as was yeah. I. I was at, at this convent. I'm at a at a convention right now, and in the dealers' room, they had um, they had the mirror episode uh, uh, Star Trek figures. And they were way too expensive. I wanted to buy all of them. Didn't say anything. I'm not out loud. Because those what are you, cool, right? They're cool they're and they're awesome, different from yeah. the normal thing. Yeah. And they had a they had a uh, sale on on uh, some of the niche uh, figures, right? They have all. They had a, they had a sale. Yeah, they had a sale on the uh, mirror uniforms. They had a sale on the pilot uniforms. They had a sale on all kinds of things. I want to, you know, what I really want. I want to buy everything I can. That's McCoy. <laughs> Why don't I go back to rhyming things with Spock? <laughs> I have a, a semi Doctor McCoy related question for you guys. <clears throat> How do you feel about having another doctor in the house here with Dr. McKenna? Uh, I have to say, um, just personally, Vic and Michelle both worked on my feature film. And as, as actors and as human beings, they are amazing people. And Michelle, is as an actress, is just so magnificent to watch her work because she takes every moment so seriously. Whereas I'm kind of the polar opposite. I tend not to take anything seriously until someone calls action and then I'm all business. But she's, she is working every single moment out in her head in this really beautiful way. And I, I got to work with her and, and Vic on that and then working on um, Star Trek together just to see her in that role. I think 
that is a like a genius move to sort of bring her in. It sort of bridges where all the different Star Trek uh, properties have gone, and and it adds this really sort of wonderful um, just balance to the sort of feminine weight yeah. that needs to be. Because if it's truly that progressive, it needs to have a. a Uhura is a pretty strong feminine voice, but it was as strong as it could be. She was strong because of who she was and because of her race and how she was cast. That was a very strong statement for Star Trek to do that. Now, with McKenna, it is it is putting a really strong feminine voice in a leadership position where it should be. If this is truly the future where there's so much equality, then there really would be a strong female voice there, and I think it's important. I think the scene in Lolani maybe that best showcases Michelle's uh, talent is the dinner scene with Zamenhan, and just keep yeah. your eyes on her in that scene. Every time we go to her, she's she's doing something really interesting. I mean, on one level, and some of the and some of the things she does, it's just playing pure comedy, and she's 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 playing uh, the, the comic beats uh, of that scene. But she's also trying to stand up, but also you know, but but be in her rank, like be subservient to her commander, but also like ah, we we can't. This this uh, slave trader get away with this girl. I mean, that's a great scene for her. There's a brilliant moment where Lolani um, confronts Captain Kirk and McKenna and, and sort of helps oh, them a little right. bit. I hope I'm not. I don't want to spoil anything, but it it, it is a brilliant comic moment between yeah. Vic and Michelle. And she, I always think of Michelle as sort of a. a like if Lucille Ball didn't go into comedy, but instead she went into sci-fi. I mean, yeah. Michelle is because Lucille Ball also also has some really good dramatic acting chops. If you go back mm -hmm. to some of her earlier film work, she's a brilliant comedian, but she's also got some some great dramatic chops. But Michelle's comedic chops are her comedic instincts are just spot on. So it's fun to have that mm -hmm. uh, sort of full package with her. On and the and to also add to what Chuck's saying, she's just a good soul to have around. During the yeah. shoot, she's just a, she's just always, just a great person to have around. And it doesn't hurt that she's kind of dropped dead gorgeous. I mean, that's how we. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's face it. That's why we all went into this business. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. the only reason we do anything. It, it has, it has been, a, but structurally in the show, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about. I've seen some. Everybody, yeah, every just the fans that comment, like on the Facebook page, uh, people all say we love Michelle, we love McKenna, incredible actress, she's so good to look at. And occasionally they will say something about, but does having that structurally that role impinge on either or McCoy or Uhura for the impact they could have had on this story? And if nothing else, if at the same time we're Historically recreating Star Trek, but also putting up me like even the way the Orions and slavery were handled in this script. I was reading someone that had a very thoughtful comment the other day. This was not something that could have been done in the 60s. Um, right. Both about women and about slavery and the topic and all that. Even as much as they would go there sometimes. So you're you're already kind of retconning things a little bit. And what you said, Chuck, about what they fix with next generation onward, which is having more women in the in the in the you know they'll be sitting around the briefing room table kind right, of thing. Right. Um, whereas here now you once they got rid of Majel's character number one, it then it drops down to like Uhura, and it was always kind of a stretch to have her in those briefing table scenes. So 
having kind of retconning this a little bit where you've got McKenna and having her be a ship's, you know, a pre-Troy experimental counselor on that level of the command staff has been something interesting to play with. So, you know, people people all have their different opinions and all that, but it's uh, and then when you've got someone like Michelle who's embodying it, it's all the better. But it's been kind of an it's been kind of an interesting thing to tinker with that a little bit and have that feminine input at that higher level. So I don't know I don't know how much that came up with you, Chris, while you were Chris White, while you were structurally working on that show. I mean, you know, the earliest conversations we had about Lalani uh, had to do with the theme, you know, what what ideas we were we were exploring with this and it and it was tricky because um, we are doing, as Larry said, historically, or I, I've said, uh, museum quality <laughs> recreations of Star Trek. We take pains to make the image look just like it looked, and the lighting to be in the in the costumes. But we were um, it was this last episode was tricky, and it was it was tricky on the page because. Uh, <laughs> You know, 1967, 68, 69, this was a different era, and even the most progressive Hollywood writers who would have been writing the show would have approached this very differently than we did. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of uh, conversations with actors even, you know, with uh, uh, Fiona who plays uh, Lalani and Michelle. Um, you know, is this – are we being exploitative here of women? Are we um, – are we too much in the '60s right now? Um, it, it, yeah, it's I, I a guess fine balance. It's like a balance it was of, such of a, being faithful yeah. to it and and also pushing it forward. And it was a real tiptoe, you know, right on that line the whole time. And I, I'm so happy with how it came out because I think when you watch the episode, it just it's it just became a home run in dealing with that. I think it wins on a lot of on a, it works on a lot of different levels. I have to agree. Uh, as the you know the TOS guy, everybody I think is looking to me like, what do you think about it? But I, I really I agree. I think that you got you guys did find that that line between telling a story that I think they maybe wanted to tell in the '60s, but like NBC probably wouldn't let yeah. them. And, and, and it's something that it, it's. Lolani kind of tells a timeless story. It's it's something that that they needed to hear in the '60s, and it's something we still need to hear today. But but it has the vibe that that makes it feel like it was just something that they left on the floor in the '60s, and you guys picked it up and you you put it in my computer. Well, and the idea the idea of of sex trafficking, I don't even know if that was on anybody's mm -hmm. radar. You know, at that time, it wasn't certainly wasn't called what we call it now, and that's that's a Thankfully, you know, that's a hot issue well, now. Thoroughly people. modern Millie. <laughs> there was a Chinese slave trade in thoroughly modern Millie. Anyway, you're that was totally right. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. Anyway. Thanks, Sorry. thanks, Larry. You know, I was yeah. trying to elevate the conversation. <laughs> that was and bring it up. Come on, Chuck, something. help me out. That was that was sixties cinema history. Come on. No, he's totally he's legit. He's totally right. It's it's, yeah. it's always funny looking back at like I was I forget what movie I was watching. I was watching some movie and you could tell they were doing a really valiant effort to try to include like people of color in it. And oh, right. like that that they wouldn't normally have them in these positions of but then they treated them really badly <laughs> so it's like they did the right thing putting them in the movie but then they treated them badly yeah. and there's there's 
some of that's that. like hang hung over in in the original series where that's uh that's like uh that's African Americans in any Woody Allen movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better than the women. Let's yeah, don't no, be, pile on Woody. Let's don't pile be, on Woody now. Beatrice <laughs> Lily trying to look Chinese, and they'd knock these girls at her hotel. These single girls in the bath that came to town to be actresses, and they'd throw them in the the two laundry Chinese Chinamen would take them out in the straw cart, and she'd always say, uh, "Sad to be alone in the world." And they would, you know, <laughs> no, it's very hard hitting expose of. Uh, Anyway, back to your point, Chris. You were on a real roller. Sorry. I, I, I forgot it, and I'm waiting for these guys to ask us. You know, <laughs> the elephant in the room is Lou Ferrigno, and nobody's even mentioned Lou. Yeah. Oh, just, real quick, before we, before we leave, you mentioned Fiona. She couldn't be on tonight because she's en route. Now, we're all missing the Oscars temporarily right now. And what's bizarre to me is the uh, Canadian Film and TV Awards, which are like the Canadian the Oscars A's, for tonight also, right? which is – Interesting counter-programming, yeah. But she's on her way there because she does – she's just wondering if I could do a shout-out for her about her series True Heroines, a web series about 50s housewives with oh, superhero powers who yeah, are being hunted by the evil corporation that created them. That's and they're good. being interviewed on Space TV, um, which is the Canadian sci-fi channel, and she's nominated, and hopefully she'll, they'll win tonight. So uh, yay to Fiona, and she would have been here if not for that, and talk about patient – the You're thing about to is talk on, about Lou, but oh my God, any of the green people in that last episode. Well, on True <laughs> Heroines, though, um, they had to actually put makeup on Fiona so she doesn't appear green. Unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> that. That's right, because she's naturally a green person. Yeah, and it works. I mean, am Star I wrong? I mean, it really works. Is that show that's ever hired a green person? That chromate green is really a bitch to cover as, with primer, and I'm amazed at what they can do on their budget. Yeah, but it's wonderful because when you just cast her regular, you can really paint her any color in post. <laughs> <laughs> so they use her for all the race-neutral parts. When they want to do colorblind casting, they just uh -huh. use Fiona because she's green, and they can make her whatever color they need to. Well, she's I insisted. A, I told Dick slick. I would not direct unless he actually got me a green actress. <laughs> <laughs> but Lou Ferrigno, when he, when he walked, like we were in the hotel shooting, and he walked in. That dude is literally a monster. I mean, he's the sweetest <laughs> guy you've ever met. But I walk, he walked in the front doors of the hotel, and I went, "Holy crap, that guy's a monster!" And that's what the casting directors must have thought, thought back during the Hulk days. He must have just walked in, and they were like, "Holy crap, you're a monster." <laughs> He, I mean, he's like his hands wrapped twice around my hand, and he just—I was like, I—I'm six foot, you know. I'm not a small guy. I'm a little wiry, but I felt like I was a like yeah. five-year-old next to him. Man, I wish Vic was here because the only real question I have about Lou Frigno is what it was like, you know, doing that flying double Kirk kick to Lou Frigno. I mean, that's <laughs> got to be incredible. Yeah, I think he probably lived a, a – that's got to be a childhood dream he just got to sort of paint out in the series for himself because it, it looks amazing. Like he showed it to me in a hotel room when we were at a, a convention together. He's like he's showing me a rough cut of it. And that's the first thing he showed me. He's like, oh, you got to check this out. Watch, watch. And I was like, oh, man, that's amazing. You just totally – how did you do that with both your feet? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. Is that a spoiler to tell the special effect of how no, he got No, people have one? seen Lilani. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you meant the designs, yeah. The, yeah the no, I want to know this. 
he put both both of his boots on his hands, right, Chris? I wasn't there, but yeah. I remember. Yeah. What happened was uh, our stunt coordinator, Ruben Langdon, who has trained, who trained with Jackie Chan and has done, you know, a lot of fights. He came in and said, "You're going to want this for the edit. You're going to want this because we we shot Vic flying in the air, and then we shot Lou falling. But what we didn't shoot, obviously, is we didn't shoot. That? You know, the contact." Yeah. Of Kirk kicking Zamenhan, but what you do instead, and you can see it, you can even freeze the frame. It's very brief, but um, we took um, Vic's boots. Actually, Ruben did this. Said, "Vic, give me your boots." He put them on his hands, like put his hands down into the boots, and then he uh, oh, he took my coat. I was wearing a black sports coat, and he put it on his arms and bloused it around the boots. So <laughs> we got a close up. We got a close up of Lou's chest. Lou standing there like. What are we doing here? You know, and it's like, just hang on, Lou. And then Ruben just, like, punches him with the feet, you know, with the hand feet. Just pop. And uh, dusted the soles of the boots with a little bit of powder. Just a little bit of powder. And uh, that little insert shot makes you, tricks your eye into thinking, Vic actually kicked Lou. No, I totally believed it. Yeah, it's it's terrific. But hats off to Vic for, I mean, he went full body in there. I mean, there had a couple of mattresses that he landed on. But I was going to say that was the most built. I mean, not the most built up stunt shot. But I stood and watched that whole, the whole progression of the rehearsals and the thing. Let's drag mm-hmm. the mattress in, and we have to arrange the mattresses like forty seven different ways before we finally got the one that fit the camera. And and then yeah, I was just wow, just for that one moment. But it was totally worth it. Totally yeah. worth it, and, and I know it had to be Vic's like eternal for for the uh, for the McCoy Feinberger med scan flip on camera for me. I know that had to be the equivalent <laughs> the flying, for Vic. The and there's also kick. the uh, the Kirk uh, double fisted uh-huh. the double right. fist. Mm-hmm. That thing he did that in the fight, which I got in a bar fight the other night, and I tried that move. Totally doesn't work, man. Just breaks your hand. <laughs> I like I did that on a guy's head, Chuck, and all I, I did was break my hand. Yeah. Chuck, I tried to tell you that was just the magic of Kingsland. That's not reality. <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't in a bar fight with the Gnostic in, were you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody knows what that is because that's oh, next, yes. next generation, that's Chris. So you're, you're in the wrong um, crowd. I, I do have to ask, though, you know, having the Incredible Hulk on the set in the episode, do you think it was a missed opportunity not to have a Kirk-style shirt rip? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. I did do this the first day and I don't think Lou thought it was funny, but I had on my uh on my my phone I had the Lonely Man theme. <laughs> you know this that's the song they always played at the end of the Incredible Hulk. The sad it's the saddest song in the world. <laughs> and um but as when I said, Okay, Lou, you're rap for the day, I just started playing the Lonely Man theme and I he just kind of left. <laughs> <laughs> he was sad. He was sad and lonely, and he well, left. I don't, the music I actually is, it cues him into that mode, and he just gets sad. I think that's what <laughs> I watched him walk down the corridor, just playing the music as he just slowly disappeared. <laughs> what it all did was just, it was really just uh, PTSD for the last time he had to get green <laughs> paint off and take two hours to do it. That's what it no, was. But, but yeah. hats off to that guy. I mean, he yeah. flew all the way across the country. I mean, that's that's a he put a lot of faith in Vic. You know, this is going to be good, Liv. Trust me. And he came there, and then they painted him up for four to five hours a day, oh, and yeah. and then you know the the bald cap. The I mean, it was it was 
rigorous, you know, what he had to do to be on our set. And um, yeah, and it sounds like actor actory complaining. Oh, I have to sit in a chair for four hours and get painted. But if you've never sat in a makeup no. chair, it is it hurts. It starts to hurt after a while. It's it's like asking your your you know the big star we're bringing in to be in pain for you know four to five hours a day, well, then, and then it takes another two an hour and a half or whatever to get out of it. Oh, to get out. I was going to say the the thing everybody talks about is oh I can see where the green's wearing off. It's like well you almost wish and you have to touch it up, but you almost wish that was eternal because what I remember more than him getting into it was the two and three hours of scrubbing him in the shower. With assistance, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like the best of you know, like you know, close quarters theater again. Everybody's dressing. Five people within two square feet are getting dressed of different genders. I mean, he was, but he had he had to have help. I mean, it was like yeah. in the auto body he, shop getting scraped down for a new primer. I mean, he it did was, have a lottery system for people who wanted to scrub the Hulk <laughs> because I mean, it's kind of a little feather in your cap to say I scrub the Hulk. I was going to do T-shirts. It said, I scrub the Hulk. And, uh, Vic I'm glad we did the I imagine like, that the, the, the line was longer for Fiona, though. It, it oh, was. yes. I would say this about Fiona. Like, I would see her <laughs> after when we would wrap and we'd be out at a restaurant having dinner. Every once in a while, I'd just be like, who is this uh, beautiful young woman? That's saying, I was like, oh, that's the green girl that we were working with all day. We should, we should get her involved somehow. She's amazing. <laughs> she should She'll be I, an extra. Yeah. She's beautiful. Of the whole, what, 10 days she had – help me, Chris. Of the eight days, 10 days, she was there every day, but she had one day off. Yeah. She was in yeah, green yeah. every day but one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I have to say that it took me – you know, everybody after it aired and I started reading reviews – after it aired, after it was released and I started reading reviews. You say after it aired. And uh, – People were just like, oh, they they did the obvious thing and you know painted Lou Ferrigno green. I had not realized that. It took me a couple days to be like, oh, I get it now. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> they they painted the Hulk green. I get it now. I, I like You're the, the TOS I like guy, the not choice. the Hulk guy. This is true. I like the choice. No. I like the choice. I mean, there is a degree of fan service. I think you do with Star Trek Continues. Um, and, you know, Lou is not from the Star Trek universe, as we know. Um, I think we brought him into it in a great way, but I think it's more of a wink. I mean, it's more of a – I mean, um, Aaron Gray plays uh, uh, a small role in the episode, and I know her from the Buck Rogers universe yeah. and the Silver Spoons universe, of course. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. But, <laughs> but, um, but I thought that was a nice that was a nice little wink to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the parallel silver forks universe, and the parallel. Yeah. And, and I guess you silver, the parallel butternut silver butternut. You were going to build a little train that ran all through the corridors of the Enterprise that you could sit on top of. Yes, yes, just yes. like silver spoons. Another silver spoons man there. <laughs> oh, jeez, old people. This is. Hey, you can't. Hey, there's 500 channels out there. You can't say that anymore. <laughs> so, Larry, I have one question for you related to Fiona and Loni. I was just wondering if you choreographed her dance. <laughs> yes, Chris, I choreographed her dance. Where, where did that come from? Because <laughs> I'm watching the episode, and I'm like, I haven't seen Dr. McCoy in a little while, and then this dance comes, and I just was imagining that, you know, because as a creative consultant to the show, I thought you oh, might okay. be the one doing it. No, I will say, no, actually, I will say this. 
before all that even came up, I it was funny because Houston Huddleston was one of the right was the primary first writer, and then there was another pass taken by Paul Bianchi, and then, and of course Vic is playing showrun at the whole thing, and I know Chris, you've had input on it, but I remember early on, and I'm always telling this about writers that are worried about dealing with Star Trek canon or like new shows and new series, and it's like guys, just write the damn story, and you can make stuff fit. And I remember very early on. There was this uh, – and I don't know, Chris, maybe you got into this or not, but I remember mm-hmm. there was this this moment where they were all – in their panties were all in a wad because they were worried about the traditional classic Orion you know, slave girl meme and then how many people actually watched Enterprise when Enterprise did the show where the, you learned that the, the Orion slave girls were actually running things and using their pheromones, and it looked like the men were these big bulky slave traders. Uh, but they weren't. It was really the women secretly running it for the outside show to the rest of the galaxy. And they were like, well, we wanted the show to be about sl- you know, the serious topics of, uh, of, of slavery and, and, and female you know, oppression and all this. And they were all so wadded up about it. I'm like, guys, guys, okay, number one, for one thing, they're 100 years apart. <laughs> you know, Enterprise came first and da 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 and I said, why don't you just – why don't you fix – or not fix canon, but you can you can be the one to step in the breach, and you can fix this and just say that the women lost control and the men overthrew them. And and the question for everybody is why does – you know the women – first, women run things, and the men are running things. Why does anyone have to be a slave to anybody? And Fit goes, that's great. That's what we'll do. And I go, well, you should – and not only is it a great thing, but it's a very McCoy thing to do, to say. And I was like, well, okay, good. And then I get the script, and he used it as a line in the show. So it was like, okay. Well, so, he yeah, it's like he, he, we had a lot more trouble with my idea to bring Lando Calrissian <laughs> into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> he was adamant, adamant that we not do that. Uh, that's so, still a good I mean, idea, Chris. I'm behind I, you. I, yeah. Well, Vic, there's always, Vic is uh, very collaborative with some of us, Larry, but some of us know. I see. Well, you need to you need to get in on the first uh, the first turn on the track <laughs> okay. on that one. I, I was just brought in as a fixer. It wasn't it didn't start with me. See, I was just the the guy at the last minute. Is is that a spoiler for the next episode? Is Billy D. Williams the guy from another science fiction franchise who's going that to we'll be see, in this episode? That is a little True. bit like having Luby Green writing this it down. Is, Drew. This is a case of, of – uh, they go back to Strato City, which is Star Trek's cloud city. So Lando – or Billy D. Williams plays a character from Stratos and well, comes – I thought it was going to be about transporting a shipment of Colt 45 liquor, and that's why <laughs> Billy D. Williams was going to be guesting. Um, I originally pitched the idea of having Yoda's brother on the next uh, episode, but his name would be Billy Yoda. I, I am Billy Yoda. You know, so it'd just be like, not really Yoda, but Yoda's brother. <laughs> so that way it's not really mixing, you know, the two different yeah, properties. Because Billy Yoda never but, appeared but in said Star no Wars. Two, no, not green twice in a row. Is yeah, right. I don't know what his problem is. I think Billy Yoda would be a big hit in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> All right. Well, if we, um, as a last topic here, shift back to production just for a little bit, uh, because earlier on, Chris, you mentioned the the painstaking efforts that you guys made to, you know, to match the style of the original series. And when I'm watching Star Trek Continues, one thing that I can say is that, like, I I really feel like I'm watching a TV show. 
it was shot in the 60s and it's an episode of the original series because there's of course the lighting you know the, the colored lights on the walls and all is there but there's something about the quality of the image that you know the the shows that are shot these days because they're shot with such advanced ultra hd camera equipment they have sort of um they have a look to them that that feels very different than than shows that were shot on film in the past and and yet here th- this show really feels the the image quality feels like the original series most of the time even beyond the lighting itself and, and all how, how do you guys go about capturing that look so perfectly well um one of the great things about this show um and one of the unheralded geniuses maybe of the show is uh, our cinematographer Matt Busey who uh who shoots the show and then uh handles the color correction color grade um for the uh for all the footage that um you know when we're looking at early cuts of the show sometimes it's to me it's kind of frustrating watching those cuz I I'm waiting for it to have that quality you're mm-hmm. talking about. I mean, it is shot in a digital format, high definition. Um, but what Matt does with various filters to um, enhance a sense of film grain, um, I mean, don't underestimate the importance of lighting lighting the Enterprise like they lit the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, Most of us would consider that over-lighting a set. It's, it is... Especially on the bridge, you know, it's very flat. It's, there's light everywhere, very few shadows. And then when you get into the quarters, you know, like Kirk's quarters, there's lots of shadows, and there are colors in the shadows. Mm-hmm. You know, there's slashes of colors. Even on just seeing a corridor wall, you'll see like there's just a slash of of red against the wall. <laughs> that that's a stylistic choice that they were making in in that era. So Matt has a great eye while we're shooting a scene. And uh, maybe the actors and director are working out the blocking or working out a specific take. Matt's looking at, you know, we could slash some blue right there. And, you know, um, let's let's make uh, this light a little bit hotter on, on the face. Um, look at the close-ups of Kirk and Spock on the bridge when you watch Lalani. And, I mean, grab that screen cap and compare it to a screen cap from the original uh, series. It's It's stunning. I mean... And some of it's the lens as well. You know, he can put a, a, the kind of lens on the camera that's going to, uh, I guess, compress the image in such a way that it really has that almost uh, 60s, it's almost like a matinee idol romantic kind of look when you go into a, a Kirk close-up. And uh, Matt just, he just knows it. And he's two steps ahead of the director um, at all times in that regard. Yeah, I mean, just does an amazing job. Well, you see that there are scenes where Vic is sitting in the captain's chair on the bridge, and like you're talking about these close-ups and just everything about the image quality. It's it's Shatner sitting on the bridge, shot in the '60s. Yeah, Vic sent us a video, a YouTube that was the because the the first vignette was a shot-for-shot remake of the very end of the series, and someone someone had spliced the actual series with the shot-for-shot remake, and just to see not only the the composition in the shots, but like Chris was talking about the lighting and just everybody's like little nuances that they put into it. You can see that that was sort of like the, 
the test run to see if we could actually recreate in an exact way, in a museum quality way, the, the feel of the show. And when you watch those two things side by side, I was blown away because you can, you can watch them separately and you never really know how it is, but this person who did it on the YouTube video, you know, would start one portion and then show our version and then show the other version. And you could see that it just, just, uh, just the, the the attention to detail is incredible. I, I think the the really great, the most admirable thing about Star Trek continues. I mean, nobody sets out to make a bad film, okay? But we've all seen them, right? And the thing is, films, um, fan films, or any film, it's just a, a collection of choices. That it's a collection of work and choices that creative people are making. And on Star Trek continues, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, we seem to get these these choices you know the costumes are just right the actors make great choices the cinematography is great the post production ralph miller and his sound design mm -hmm. just brings the whole world to life this the people writing the scripts i mean that's why these things are, are the music at all scoring watchable. and yeah. visual effects yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mean that's why these Story are at all watchable model. i mean I, I you know we've all seen and I'm not just talking about Star Trek fan films, but any kind of tribute uh, fan film that uh, maybe uh, amateur uh, filmmakers make, and and we enjoy them for what they are. But I've I've rarely seen a fan film that is just as just as watchable as these Star Trek continues episodes are. I mean, and I say that as you know, I I watch Pilgrim of Eternity, and I'm just I just marvel at that episode. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's what's the real distinctive here. The sum of the choices that are being made creatively just they just add up to something really really special. Well, and conscious conscious choices and conscious decisions not just mm -hmm. again, oh look, the proscenium creeped in there while we were recreating the Greeks. And, and we don't argue with each other. That's the other thing. I mean, there's some discussion, but we don't sit there arguing. I mean, people defer to the experts. Like I right. I don't sit there and argue with Matt Busey about the shot. Like Matt Busey knows Star Trek. And so I trust him on that. And same thing with, with our costumes and our, our art direction, our props. I mean, there's not a lot of bickering on the set like you, like you would – the makeup, as you, as you might think there would be on something like this. We kind of let the, everybody do their thing, and it – man. It's, it my, it's my favorite type of set because the best idea always wins. And mm -hmm. sometimes, like, I, I would watch Vic and Larry go back and forth about – whether the slash of color could be purple or blue or should it be more purple and then yeah. they start rattling off episodes to each other. Well, no. And, you know, and just all the little detail work, you know, when you're on a set with that many experts, it's really fun to do your job because you're just so well supported. I mean, to, to some extent, actors are, are really just glorified monkeys uh, and having all that production value around you just makes you look that much better. And having that attention, I, I could never bring that attention to detail in a Star Trek universe. So I'm so blessed to have all these people around me to make sure I don't screw it up. Yeah, there was a moment on Pilgrim where um, there was a, a Sulu uh, played by Grant Imahara. Uh, he had yeah, to uh, turn on a, uh, an alert, uh, like a, a some kind of red alert or something. And um, I was assistant director on that episode but it fell to me to tell grant which button to push you know and i said which button would sulu push to uh make the alert happen and i think larry may have said it doesn't matter just that general direction but four people surrounded me and and 
they figured it out. They're like, well, in season two, he would have put, I mean, it was like this fantastic attention to detail. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great episode because with this many people who actually know this stuff, we can pull up any screen capture of any of the 79 episodes just like that. You can just say, you know, episode 61, right. the third scene, can we see where Uhura's hands were? You know, and, and someone will pull it up. Um, well, and then you get to the point where you 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 have that instant access thanks to internet and wireless and all everybody's phones and pads. You have that, and you got three choices. And then you go, well, but this was first season, and this was third. And if we're evolving past the third, then maybe we should lean to the. Th you know, you could even go to that level. So, right. Mm -hmm. And and one thing we should mention real real quick. This has a, been a great partnership with the Farragut. Films, yeah, absolutely. There who have the local guys who work on those sets, and then even people like these pro like I loved in Lolani, um, was it Dave Arland who had he had been collecting the Starfleet silverware with the red mm -hmm. tape on the end, and he brought it in for the dinner mm -hmm. scene, mm -hmm. and was right. talking about he was telling me the whole story. That's a specific Danish brand. I mean, I'm a Trek person and not really a collector, but I know that, I try to know this stuff. But it was just blowing me away when he was talking about how thanks to Reruns and the globalizing of media and all this stuff that this Danish brand that back in the day, you know, um, um, either Fred Freiberger or uh, Big Big John, um, what are the set dresser? One of them had used this because it was quasi spacey and quasi classic. And now, forty years later, enough people recognize it that that set of that silver is very collectible because it was Starfleet Star Trek sixties. And so people collectors have bought it up, and so it's like one of the most valuable silver set you can get and why now poor Star Trek collectors are having to pay out the nose for it but he had like we had six people in the scene one two three yeah he had yeah, like yeah. Five, that was the other funny thing he had like five sets of the silver and so we were like faking who's the person that didn't get you know like we we're like one person at each setting got the bum you know got the fill in silver at the setting but it's just we had there's there's people like him that are all giving a little piece of their expertise on things yeah, the local the guys down in, yeah. yeah, the local guys down in Georgia do an amazing job of backing up the professionals that sort of fly in for the, the the guys that are there working every day have as much dedication and professionalism as I've seen on any set that I've been on. So that's awesome to to see. It's a and it's amazing. Really funny these, guys too. Yeah, well, it's just yeah. These, these like yeah. southern guys that they could be sitting around watching football or going bowling or working on a car, but no, they're all going down on the weekend and working on the Star Trek sets, you know. And <laughs> but just as just as good old boy as anybody I grew up with. So I can't wait to hear them talk about how they've never been bowling and they hate football <laughs> and they never work on their cars. They'll be like, Larry, you don't know anything. <laughs> We're doing needlepoint and helping out at the homeless shelter. Uh, Chris, I know you're probably oh, about to wrap up, but I would be remiss if I didn't give you a little tease for the third episode. That was actually my next question, which was what's next, okay. because the, <laughs> the Kickstarter campaign was so insanely tease? successful. I'm, I'm not going to tease it too much. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away, I, I hope. But and I will say, it, I'm going to rhyme Spock with different words. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this about episode three. Um, if you are, I mean, yeah, I mean, you if you are a dedicated original series fan, this episode is going to be the the best of that we've done. You're going to be so happy about what 
happens in this episode and how we explore an idea that was um, begun uh, in the in the original series and um, not really fully explored in any other uh, Star Trek incarnation. This is a very special episode, this... and it's going to be insane on the set because it's going to be uh, it's just it's going to be a totally different feel on set in a lot of ways. And uh, I think that's all I will tell you about okay. it before Vic like calls in and tells me I can't tell you anymore. No, dude, I already I covered everything. I've I've said swear words. I've done. All, I'm the bad guy. I always am. <laughs> Chris, I would. Chris, I would. Chris White, I would differ with you on one line of what you said. I, I, I know. I realized when I started saying, but <laughs> but I, I, but there's going to be more action. Man, in it's this. not a teaser at all. <laughs> no, there, there's more action in this episode than you've seen so far in Star Trek Continues, and uh, in some ways, there's more comedy. Than we've seen. There's some. There are going to be some big, heavy laughs. Okay, you're doing another Tribbles episode, aren't you? <laughs> and in some ways, there's more Star Trek in this episode. Ah, yes. Well, yeah, right. I think I've got it. Just tell me. This is a follow-up to yeah. Spock's brain. I want to know if Todd has been <laughs> fitted for the headpiece yet. And Chuck, are you looking forward to okay. running him around the set with a remote control? Well, Todd is actually under my command at all times because I've hypnotized him. So it's really not going to be much of a stretch. No, you're you're kidding. But seriously, I'm really looking forward to seeing whatever happened to Gorgon, the friendly angel. Uh, when you said it was a very special episode, I just pictured uh, like Spock after, after coming out in a wheelchair. Special. Oh man! I just pictured Scott Spock coming out. <laughs> but uh, it's not—it's not special in that way. Um, no, no. But is it the human half me? or the uh, Vulcan half? Okay. Well, I, I wouldn't use. I mean, is it fair to say? I don't know. Looking at it on paper, I feel like episode three is the strongest on paper of anyone we shot. I mean, just reading you, it. Do you think so, Larry? Wow, I um. Just, I mean, I think it may be the viscerally the biggest gut to the, I may be the biggest punch to the gut of of original series fans. Yeah, because it hits you right off the bat running. It actually has a slightly different vibe than the first two, as far as um, where it sits. Yeah, because it's um, it's a, well, I started to say it's a bit like one of the vignettes in that way, but uh, right, Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We're teasing people so much. I just think it's going to be awesome to. I, it's just going to be awesome to have Chewbacca on the bridge. <laughs> Chuck, damn it! I said it out loud. I didn't mean to. Jeez. Uh, well, touch you know, Peter don't, Mayhew don't, in the chair for seven hours a day. You That's can't. You can't. You can't. Te- you can't insult people's intelligence by making them think it's actually Chewbacca. And not just the purple-headed kind of look, haired, you know, look alike. Larry, it's not <laughs> yeah. Chewbacca. The, the it's Trek-ified. actually A-Rex being played by Chewbacca. Oh, genius. Genius. Uh, yes. We got deep, and double deep. deep. And That's the, awesome. Okay. All right, guys. Well, we should wrap up here. I can't wait to see the third episode <laughs> and everything that uh, you guys have in store for us coming up. Before we go, are there any other projects that you're working on that you would like to promote here and tell people where they can find you if they want to know more about your other work and just 
things in general? Um, I would encourage everyone listening to go to the website that you will find at this URL, looking for BillMurray.com. Um, my wife Emily and I uh, have just ra- uh, well, we've just finished a film, but we're waiting for one more scene for the film. I'm an independent <laughs> filmmaker from South Carolina, and our film is called Cinema Purgatorio. It's a showbiz comedy, and in it, it's a story about people that are trying to meet Bill Murray and win a film festival. Um, and so we are uh, trying to meet Bill Murray and, and have Bill shoot a two-minute scene for our film, and we're very close. Bill lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and so um, people listening to this podcast, if you're a Bill Mur- Murray fan, if you'll go to lookingforbillmurray.com, maybe you can help us find Bill and tell him about our film. Very cool. Um, I just I'm in uh, the final stages of post-production on my first feature, which stars Vic Mignogna and Brina Palencia and Jeff Schmidt and a bunch of other people, Jason Cave, and it is called Arbor Day: The Musical, and it is a uh, my wife gave it the best um, sort of blurb. She said it's like the Cohen Brothers tried to make Waiting for Guffman, but instead of a musical about chairs, it's a musical about September 11th. So it's a wacky musical comedy about September 11th. And are there any Star Wars characters in this film? Uh, no, but we do do a parody of an Elton John song. So that's close enough. Okay. <laughs> I should say Vic does a parody of an Elton John song. No, the whole cast does. It's really good. It's uh, Don't Let the Sun Come Down on Me, but it's Don't Let Tower One Fall Down on Me. It's really amazing. <laughs> that was all seven. news to me and now I just can't wait to um, dive in or dive under oh, or, man. Or yeah. it's too bad this isn't video Chris just gave a complete head slap to himself yeah. 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 Chris Jones we're going to have to we're going to have to use that recording every time oh, yes. you know like you get the, new, the new ready room thing this is <laughs> I have a feeling people never know whether I'm telling the truth or just completely lying, and I think that's wonderful. People say that about me as well, so it's it's <laughs> just great, leave it right yeah. there. <laughs> Talent to have. What about you, Larry? What's coming up? Oh, your people know all my <laughs> crap. So anyway, just go to LarryNimitschek.com and and uh, Con of Wrath. Actually, I just had. Oh, I didn't tell you. I need to tell you guys. I could should have told Todd this. Thanks to Star Trek Continues. I just had a breakthrough on my documentary, which is which is a which a uh, a guy who is in my Houston circle, the the enigmatic kind of shadowy guy. Chris, I've talked to you about this. Mm-hmm. The, the guy who's the middle of all this. Who at first I didn't know if he even existed still, and then I didn't know how to approach him. And now we can't get in contact with him because his closest friends have, aside from Facebook, didn't have a way to get, get to Murray? him. And is. Oh, that's, I totally forgot. That's I thought it true. was Billy yes. Yoda. It's Bill Murray. Maybe we could cut. Yeah. It's, but anyway, he one of these guys did a very clever Facebook thing where he was he had just seen. I was mad at him for this, but he had just seen Star Trek Continues. And he was raving about it, and all of his old because it's people in their fifties, and they're all their original series people from fandom in the seventies and eighties. He's going on about Star Trek Continues, and up pops. Uh, our guy, our focus guy, who starts talking, and he gets him engaged, and then he like – and we're not friended, but he cross-connects. He, cross he pulls me in with a link, so now we're both in this thread 
they're talking about continues, and he segues into how did they get away with doing all this stuff? How did CBS and Paramount let them do all this when they when we did our show? They wouldn't let us do the convention, the big rock show, uh, Ultimate Fantasy. Wouldn't let us do blah blah blah. And he kind of manipulated the topic over to the topic of my documentary. And he's talking, and then I popped up and just went for it and said, "Well, my God, uh, Jerry, I'm so glad to finally say hi here." And, but long story short was we friended and made a side, and we owe it all to Star Trek Continues, which is kind of funny. So um, anyway, that just happened yesterday morning, and now we're like getting the next awesome. Houston shoot going. So anyway, there's a little update on Connor Rath for everybody and for my right. for my guys Congrats, here. Congrats, Larry. That's good. So yeah. um, it was just kind of an amazing. Blew my head open yesterday. So anyway, so Connor Rath and all my junk and the Trekland trunk and everybody knows Chris. All right, <laughs> your people know my crap. Well, that's cool. So anyway, <laughs> but, but uh, conventions um, going to be at um, and everybody else should do this too. But um, some of us are going to be at a media convention in in uh, Detroit, which I've never been to Detroit. But also before that, uh, WonderCon's coming. Away Mission Tampa. Um, yeah, an Emerald City at the end of the month in Seattle. So there's some before Comic Con and Vegas and the and the in the uh, LA to Vegas Star Trek tour. Everybody go to Geek Nation tours as you're supposed to know already and get in line for this year's tour. Yeehaw. Okay. Great. Drew, Drew, Chris, thanks for having us on. We're big fans of you, you guys. Yeah, and, uh, well, thank you. It's great to uh, know that you guys are fans of what we're doing. Thank oh, definitely. So much. I really appreciate you guys yeah, setting aside some time yeah, to talk to us tonight. We've had, we've had listeners ask about Star Trek Continues and say we want to know more about it, so I'm glad we finally got you all together. And come down. Anytime you guys can work it out to come down to Kingsland, Georgia, we'd be happy to give you the walkthrough uh, tour. Maybe put a tunic on you guys and let you walk through the, the corridor. Dude, there's some magic sitting in the captain's chair. That is, everybody oh, yeah. does yeah. that when they do <laughs> the captain's chair, man. Drew told me he wants to be operating the transporter the next time an Orion female comes aboard. <laughs> yes, yeah. I know, really, right, Drew? I have a really yeah. good panicked face with the <laughs> knife up against my throat. Yeah. Big close-up, big terrifying close-up. We'll have close to activate up. the uh, de-knifing filter that... that Prevents knives from rematerializing when someone's beamed away. When you said you needed a gay young blade, this is not what I thought you meant. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. That was probably the most fun I've had on the network so far. The most fun, but some of the least talking that you've done, right? Right. I mean, I just, I just had to sit in awe of just these, these people just bantering back and forth. And I don't think I've ever laughed so hard as when they were just, you can't tell because I was laughing quietly, right. but audience, you have to know that when they were describing, uh, putting, putting their hands in the boot <laughs> to, to punch Lou yeah. Ferrigno to, to do the flying Kirk kick, that was incredible. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> It's great because you can tell. I mean, I always like to hear behind the scenes of production in general, you know, related to Star Trek and the television series and all. But you can tell here, too, that uh, well, not only the quality of the work that they're doing and the way that they're approaching it, but how much fun they're having doing this show. Oh, yeah. It's obviously that they are they are fans getting together and we get the opportunity to watch them, which is how I feel about podcasting sometimes like. We're having a good time just having this conversation, 
we just share it yeah. with you guys because we figure you guys would enjoy it too. And it, it's like they're the same thing. Instead of playing in your clubhouse and you know playing make believe, they they've their clubhouse just happens to look exactly like the original series yeah. bridge. Definitely. Well, I'm so glad that the the group could join us today and that we could talk about Star Trek Continues a bit. It's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week, though. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Futurama Commentary. Shatner is so good in this. I mean, I know it's it's uh, seems weird to say that. It seems weird to say that a guy is good at playing himself. But Shatner excels at that. Earl Grey. Q. We've all got our claws up right now. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he was scared of her. Like he, he put out his own hand. Snapper to death with a West Side Story. <laughs> West Side Story. <laughs> when you're a Q, you're a Q all the way. The Ready Room. Damage. That's what made Archer's next statement so awesome. And I'm not rationalizing anything. I know full well what I'm doing. Yeah. Like he he understands the ethical ramifications that he's taking. He knows what's going to weigh on his conscience now. The orb. Runabouts. It definitely feels more like the old west. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're basically in a covered wagon instead of like a train. But so. a covered wagon that can go warp 5. To the journey. Living witness rewrite. This always messed with me when I was younger like the, the the retinas or the nerve endings behind his eyes are dissolving. That's just messed up. Yeah, what? Warp 5. Malcolm Reed. It almost feels like the writers thought it was fun to just keep throwing facts in and dialogue about him. You know, usually in the show Bible, you want to see people do things, and they just say, oh, we'll, have some, we'll have this person say this. We'll have a whole episode about how he loves pineapple, but he's allergic to it. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Hewitt Wolf, River World. But when you end up at the end of your thing... Having gone from, I'm on a beach and I don't know how or why, to, no, don't take the glowing rock and put it in the spaceship. That will destroy the planet, I guess. That is too far too quickly. Melodic tricks. Five musical favorites. And to see the Klingon ship dissolve in, in the lightning effect with that music playing, you know, at loud volumes. It was, it was basically the, a geek's dream. Literary treks. Spock Reflections. And my favorite is when Amanda goes, I will never get used to a Vulcan scolding. <laughs> right. You know, we wouldn't take it as a scolding at all. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. Drew, we had some feedback from last week's show, in fact. This is Chris Baca in San Antonio. And uh, he wrote us a little bit about our discussion of the Apple. What did Chris have to say? He said, uh, really liked the Ready Room episode discussing the Apple. Always a great show when Mark is on discussing behind the scenes. I can't wait for volume two of his book. The saucer separation discussion was interesting. I didn't know the thought was that the engine nacelles could be ejected as well as the saucer. In The Art of Star Trek, they have pictures from Star Trek The Motion Picture. One of the possible endings for the movie involved the Enterprise fighting the three Klingon vessels that were digitized 
at the beginning of the film after V'ger evolves and disappears. During the battle, the Enterprise needs to separate this officer. And you can see that, uh, the artwork on Memory Alpha. Uh, it's a great show, Chris. Yeah, and, and I bet he really didn't know what I think we talked about on the show, right? Where the, the nacelles actually act as giant lightsabers and can actually, or did, or was that in the other side of the room? <laughs> the other side of the room. I don't remember now. I don't recall at all. <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny that discussion ever took place. So, uh, thanks for the feedback, Chris. Glad you enjoyed the show. And yeah, it's definitely always interesting when Mark is on. And I can talk about all that behind the scenes because just the, the level of research into the original series that he's done is just absolutely astounding. And I definitely encourage everyone to go pick up Mark's books. Indeed. For everyone else, if you would like to share your thoughts with us on this show, any episode of The Ready Room, anything about Star Trek, whatever you want to talk about, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose The Ready Room, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the show and about Star Trek. And also, we'd like to encourage you to drop by iTunes as well and leave us a star rating and a written review if you have a moment. We'd love to hear from you. It does help other listeners find the show as they're searching iTunes for Star Trek podcasts. Uh, we don't have any new written reviews this week, though we did receive some five-star ratings. So thank you to whoever left those. We never know who it is. If, if you just leave a star rating, uh, we don't actually know who left those. They, they just appear. But with written reviews, of course, we know, and we can actually give you a shout out here on the show. So uh, thanks for that, for those who left us star ratings. And for everyone else, please drop by. We would love to hear from you. And if you like social media, you'll find us in a few places. You'll find us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll find us on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. And Landrew, when you're not trying to get people to bend to your will, where can people find you? <laughs> they can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. And they can find me on Standard Orbit, where I do try to bend people to my will. <laughs> but I'll plug it anyway. Um, we, we've we been having a good time. Uh, Mike Schindler and I have been having a good time with that. Uh, it, it's it's always fun. And, and you guys should check it out. I believe you do remind people both at the beginning and at the end of that show that Landrew's will reigns supreme, don't you? Yes, yes. It, it, I begin begin with the word of Landrew and end with the will of Landrew. <laughs> That's right. To cover both the bases. It's important. you got to keep that in mind. All right. <laughs> so go check out Standard Orbit, everyone. And as for me, if you'd like to find me, I'm also on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, you'll find me with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where we talk Star Trek books and comics, and we interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together every week, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. You'll find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise, and then I have my interview show, Matter Stream. So check all of those out if you'd like to find out what we're talking about on my other shows and um, find out what's going on in the world of Star Trek. Also, before we let you go, we'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks anywhere 
Over 150,000 titles are waiting for you. Hundreds of new titles are coming every week. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. So go pick up The Lost Years, which we talked about news, or anything else that you prefer. That's yours for free. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that audiobook. So there's nothing to lose but a lot to gain, and it does help us keep the ready room coming every week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we really thank Audible for supporting the network. One more thing you can do to help us keep the ready room coming is to make a donation to the network. If you go over to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find different levels of contributions to choose from and original alien illustrations as a thank you for your donation. These illustrations are done by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And your donations help us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So we really thank you for your support. All right, Landrew, I'm going to go wander off to makeup because I've been just itching to get myself painted green, like an Orion from Milani. And from what I understand, I might be itching afterwards as well. Well, it's time to stick a hand in a boot and punch Lou Frigno with it, because the ready room is done. <laughs> 